We'll be considering Baptist Catechism number 100 today. Question 100 asks, how is baptism rightly administered? I'll remind you that in this portion of our catechism, we are considering the ordinary and external means of grace. You heard me make mention of that in my prayer. Uh, God has determined to bring people to salvation and to grow them up in the faith uh, through ordinary means. He works in our lives in many ways, but these things He has called us to engage with so that we might grow through them. That is, the Word of God read read and preached, the sacraments, there are two of them, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And this is a beautiful portion of our catechism, for in this final portion of our catechism, we're told all about these ordinary and external means of grace. It's very practical. If we want to grow in Christ... What should we do? What should we engage with? Well, we need to be people who love God's Word. We need to read it ourselves. We need to hear it read. We need to listen to it preached. We need to engage thoughtfully, mindfully, faithfully uh, with the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and also we need to be people of prayer. And our catechism is very careful to teach us about each one of these means of grace. There's a lot that's said about baptism. There's going to be an A lot that's said about prayer as well. And with that, our catechism concludes. So again, the question is now, how is baptism rightly administered? We've learned what it is. We've learned who is to receive it. But how is it to be administered? Answer, baptism is rightly administered by immersion or dipping the whole body of the party in water into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit according to Christ's institution and the practice of the apostles, and not by sprinkling or pouring of water or dipping some part of the body after the tradition of man. Our scripture reading will be Acts 8.26-40. Acts 8.26-40. Would you hear now the reading of God's holy word? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found him at Azotus, and 
as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This now the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the teaching of the faith uh, today. This passage, by the way, it occurred to me, is a wonderful introduction to the topic that we are now considering. It also is a wonderful um, kind of conclusion to all that was preached this morning as we went to uh, Isaiah 30 and 61 in that sermon, but that's a side note. The question before us now is, how is baptism rightly administered? In other words, how is baptism properly done? You know, in some traditions, baptisms are administered by the pouring or sprinkling of water. And I guess the question is, is this right or proper? Our catechism is very direct, isn't it? By the way, this is the Baptist catechism, so you should not be surprised to see such an emphasis upon baptism and the question, who's to be baptized, and now the question, how is baptism to be administered? Uh, We have uh, very particular views about these things. So our catechism is very direct. At the end it says, "...not by sprinkling or pouring of water or dipping some part of the body after the tradition of man." So in our opinion, this practice of sprinkling or pouring or dipping just a part of the body into the baptismal water is not from Christ. It is not something that He instituted, but it is instead merely the tradition of man. And we are not bound to follow the tradition of man, are we? Not in in these matters. Uh, We are bound to follow the Word of God, Christ's institution. Where did this tradition come from? Well, I really have not studied that question in detail, but I wonder if it did not develop along with the tradition of applying the sign of baptism to infants. And there was a period in church history where there was a tradition of applying baptism only when someone was on their deathbed. And if you think of this, it may be that sprinkling, pouring, or dipping only of a a part of the body of the water in situations like these would be more Convenient. It's a bit easier to sprinkle water on an infant than to dunk an infant. So too with someone who is bound to their bed near the moment of death. I wonder if there is not a connection between these two things. But however the tradition developed, we are saying that it is not from Scripture, which means that it is not from God. It is instead the tradition of man, and it is to be rejected therefore. Notice again that the question is, how is baptism rightly administered? In other, way, in other words, what is the correct way to do it? And as usually is the case, it is helpful to compare our catechism with our confession to gain a fuller understanding of the doctrine that is being presented. We have uh, these two uh, foundational documents, our confession of faith, commonly called the 1689 London Baptist Confession, sometimes called the Second London Confession of Faith. And we have the Baptist Catechism, and and these documents are related. The Confession is much longer, but the Catechism is meant to clearly teach the doctrines that are contained within our Confession of Faith. So it is wise for us to go from one to the other from time to time, to gain a better understanding of what our doctrinal standards teach. Our confession teaches in chapters 28 and 29 that those who have faith in Christ are the only proper subjects of baptism. Never should those who do not profess faith be baptized. And of course, this includes infants. Infant baptisms are invalid baptisms, therefore. Uh, by the way, some will, uh, who are paedo-baptist um, will accuse us of being rebaptizers. Have you ever heard this ap- a- accusation? There is one baptism not two, 
and you rebaptize. And what would our response be to that? No, we do not rebaptize. We baptize only once, uh, and we baptize those who profess faith in Christ. Whatever that was that was done to that infant is not baptism at all. It is no baptism. And so, it is those who profess faith who are to be baptized. Infant baptisms, we would say, are invalid baptisms. Water is always to be used, and those baptized are to be baptized in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by one who is qualified and called to administer the sacrament according to the commission of Christ. You may see Second London Confession 28.2 for more about that. A baptism that lacks these things should be considered invalid. But our confession says in 29.4 that immersion or dipping of the person in water is necessary to the due administration of this ordinance. That word due is very significant. What our confession is teaching is that this is the right way to do it. That is to say, by immersion or dipping of the person in water. But what about those who have been baptized As believers, not as infants, but as believers, with water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, by one who is qualified and called to administer the sacrament, but by sprinkling, pouring, or dipping of a part of the body into the water. Do you understand the question I'm addressing? Some pastors have to sometimes deal with complicated matters, you know. Someone comes to the church to join the church, and they say, Okay, so I was baptized as a believer, not as an infant. I was baptized and water was used. I was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by one quali- in, in the church, by one qualified and set apart for this the work, an ordained minister. But they sprinkled me and poured water on my head, perhaps, but I was not immersed. Does my baptism count? I'm trying to get sympathy from you right now, you know, all the questions that have to be dealt with. Our confession and our catechism, I think, would leave room for us to say, yes, that baptism counts. Was it done properly? No, it was not done properly. But is it valid? We may say, yes, it is, it is valid. Because all of those other core and foundational elements are present there. I'm just telling you what our confession and catechism leave room for. When our confession says that um, these things are necessary to the due administration of the ordinance, our confession means that these things need to be present in order for um, uh, Baptism to be considered properly done, but things that are done improperly may still be considered valid. They may still be considered valid. This is a question that comes up from time to time, even today, but it was a very common question for the particular Baptists living in the 17th century. They had to wrestle with questions like these because many who came to Baptist convictions who believed that baptism was for believers only did at first sprinkle. Did you know that? It was only later that the practice of baptism by immersion uh, was, was restored or regained within uh, the particular Baptist tradition. Now I'm getting into church history here just a little bit. But they had to wrestle with this. And that is why 29.4 says that immersion or dipping of the person in water is necessary to the due administration of this ordinance. Due means proper. To, do, to, to administer baptism properly, we must baptize by immersion. Now, let me move on from this, and if I've just confused you, you can talk to me later, I guess. But I'll move on by asking a few very pointed questions. Would we consider an infant baptism valid? Would we consider an infant baptism to be valid? The answer is no, never. 
For that one, that person, was not baptized upon profession of faith. The one who was baptized as an infant was not really baptized. Uh, I don't know what we want to call it, a a baby dedication of sorts uh, with water. Um, So this one who was baptized only as an infant should be baptized not again, but properly for the first time as a believer now, and thus say to God in the world, Jesus is Lord, and they should have the things that baptism communicates said to them by God. Your sins are washed away. You've been given a new life through your union with Christ Jesus. So if someone came and said, I've only been baptized as an infant, our response would be, that was no baptism at all. You need to profess your faith in Christ through the waters of baptism according to the command of Scripture. Would we consider a Roman Catholic, Mormon, or Jehovah's Witness baptism to be valid? And we would say, no, never. For these are different religions with different conceptions of sin and salvation. In the case of Mormon and Jehovah's Witness doctrine, their view of God and Christ is fundamentally different too. Those who were baptized into these religions were not baptized into Christ's church, but into something else. Would we consider the baptism of one who was sprinkled with water? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, upon profession of faith, let's say in a Reformed or Presbyterian church, be valid. Yes, I think we would leave room for that. Our view would be that it was improperly done, but may be regarded as valid. So why do we say that baptism is rightly administered by immersion, or dipping the whole body of the party in water, into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit? Why is this the right way to do it? according to our standards. The answer is rather simple. First of all, this is what the word baptism means. The word baptism itself means to immerse or to submerge. So if we were just to simply do a word study here and ask, well, what is baptism? Well, whatever it is, it involves being plunged under water. Two, this is what Christ clearly taught. He taught baptism by immersion. And three, this is what the apostles did. In other words, baptism by immersion is what we find in the Scriptures. Read the New Testament and see. Baptisms were performed in bodies of water, rivers, lakes, and such. People went down into the water to be baptized. Even Christ Himself did this with John the Baptist. They went down into the water and came up again. The passage that I read from in Acts 8 regarding Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is a very good example. Philip preached the gospel to him from Isaiah the prophet. The Ethiopian believed, and after believing he said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? If baptism were to be done by sprinkling or pouring, he could have pointed to his his, uh, skin of water being carried in his chariot. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? (laughs) But he did not. There was a body of water in that place, and seeing the body of water, he was moved to say, well, if we are to profess faith in Christ through baptism, well, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, etc. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. I'll just finish remember, um, reading the passage. So if ever there was a time for baptism by sprinkling or pouring, it was here. For these two were in an arid region. The text actually says this was a desert place. If ever there were time for baptism by sprinkling or pouring, it was here. But baptism was made possible by the body of water. It was large enough for them to go down into and to come out of again. And I would just encourage you to read the New Testament and see that this is 
always the case. It is always baptism by immersion that is described. And add to this, and in fact I think this is perhaps the strongest argument, add to this the symbolism of baptism. What does baptism signify? What does it symbolize? We've already looked at this together uh, with the help of earlier questions and answers in our catechism. What does it signify? Well, many things. It signifies cleansing. It signifies union with Christ in His death and resurrection. It is through immersion uh, that the whole body is washed. Through immersion, our death in Christ and our resurrection in Christ are signified as we go into the water and come up again. And I am just making a very brief and I think simple observation that baptism by pouring or sprinkling doesn't quite capture this, does it? It doesn't quite capture the significance of union with Christ in His death and resurrection. When we are taken under the water, under the baptismal water, it does signify dying and being buried. And when we are brought up again, out of the water, it does signify newness of life, you see. And it is it signifies also cleansing, that the whole body is, is washed uh, by the waters of baptism, not just a little portion of it. And it's baptism by immersion, of course, that signifies our union with Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, uh, our new life in Him, the washing away of all of our sins, most accurately. And so you could see that in our standards, in our confession, in our catechism, uh, we are told the right way to do it, But the language used is very careful, so that we do leave room for differences of opinion here in terms of how much water is to be used. We say this is the right way to do it. If we want to do it properly, we are to baptize by immersion. But there is some room left to say that those who are baptized upon profession of faith, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, by one qualified and called to administer the sacrament, um, if they were baptized by sprinkling or pouring, that baptism may still be considered valid. And I do appreciate that approach. Baptism is rightly administered by immersion or dipping the whole body of the party in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit according to Christ's institution and the practice of the apostles and not by sprinkling or pouring of water or dipping some part of the body after the tradition of man. Let's bow for a brief word of prayer and then we will go to corporate prayer. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would give us greater understanding of these ordinary means of grace that you have given to your church. Lord, uh, do help us to not run after other things, thinking that they will bring uh, growth in Christ or progress in our spiritual walk. But help us to humbly submit to your word and to engage in these things that you have given to your church. The word of God, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Help us to engage in these things regularly, thoughtfully, with faith in our hearts and with much rejoicing, expecting that you indeed will purify us and grow us up in Christ Jesus. I do pray that you would give us the great privilege of baptizing many in the years to come. Uh, We look forward to baptizing the children of this congregation as they grow to make a profession of faith. We even look forward to baptizing those who are converted in this community. Lord, I do pray that you would Show us this kindness to be able to baptize many, but may we be faithful to do it according to the command of Christ for your glory and for the good of those baptized and for the flourishing of your church. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.